just about. Two, one. The wind goes rushing past Don Zarda's GoPro as he steps off a cliff in the Dolomites in Italy, guiding himself to the ground using at first just a windsuit, which gives his arms and his legs a, a webbed appearance. The Grain Valley, Missouri native was a thrill seeker to say the least. He turned to base jumping, an extreme sport that is illegal in many parts of the world because of the risk involved. He died during a jump in 2014, but June 15th, 2020, he made history, changing the lives of millions of his fellow Americans. You're used to seeing us on the evening news. This conversation is different. I'm Haley Harris, and this is KNBC 9 Storytellers. People in Kansas City know the Zarda name, Zarda Barbecue. Founder's son, Don Zarda's last name is now known, though, for its role in the Supreme Court decision protecting gay and transgender Americans from workplace discrimination. In 2010, Zarda was working as a skydiving instructor in New York. He told a female client that he was gay during a tandem flight to make her feel more comfortable, he said. It did not. She complained, and Zarda was fired. He sued. It led to a 10-year court battle that ended this month at the Supreme Court. This week, I sat down with Melissa Zarda, Don's little sister. What was the age difference between you two? Seven. Seven, Seven years. Baby, baby sister. Yeah. So tell me, um, what, kind of a, what kind of a guy was your brother? He was silly. He was athletic. Um, he was caring and generous. He um, loved his family. He loved his cats. He loved technical gear and um, electronics, and more than anything, I think he loved base jumping and skydiving. How did you uh, How did you feel about the base jumping, especially? Um, you're not going to be able to talk somebody out of it who found something that they love and they want to do it all the time. We knew. Um, I don't. I don't know that base jumping in general is dangerous. It's more maybe with the wingsuit, but he loved it. It it made him happy and we wanted him to be happy. So there was risk involved, but if he wouldn't have done it, you know, I don't think he would have been happy. Take me back to yesterday morning. You told me a little bit on the phone about uh, how you found out the news uh, from this 10 year long <laughs> court battle uh, and just kind of all came together yesterday. Tell me about that. Right. Um, I got up early and I was hitting refresh, refresh, refresh on the Supreme Court site. Nothing. Um, we weren't going to get any notice. We just knew it would probably be a Monday in June, maybe. So I went for a run, came back, hit refresh some more, and um, all of a sudden the, the site kind of locked up. And I know from my profession that it's probably just getting a lot of traffic. And so I, I had a feeling then um, my heart jumped and I, I wrote our team at the ACLU and I'm like, this is us, isn't it? This is us. And they just wrote back and they're like, you won. <laughs> I, I, I can't explain it. I can't put it into words. I can't put the whole process into words. Sitting in a room with RBG, I mean, how do you describe that to people? <laughs> and, then, and then to win this. Right now, when you get so much bad news in, in the, the country, there's so many tragedies occurring right now. And, and I don't even know what I'm going to wake up and hear every day. It's, it's just so awful. And then 
to like have this little touch of good news. It's, it's pretty much what we all needed right now. To know that your brother was involved in a case that has led to changes for well, end up being millions and millions of Americans. Uh, I see. I see you smiling. Yeah, it's um, it's emotional and it's overwhelming, and um, we're just we're so happy. We're so happy that they that they made the right decision. Um, it you know there's there's still a lot of work to do yet. Um, this is this is huge. I think some people might even say it's bigger. You know, than the case on marriage because. You know, you, you have no choice, you know, you don't have to get married, but you have to work, you have to earn a living. So it is huge, but, but there's still so much discrimination in um, housing, healthcare, credit, education, that um, we have a long way to go. But, you know, baby steps and we'll keep fighting. Um, I think the next biggest thing that we need to do is focus on the Equality Act in Congress right now. It's, it's sitting in Senate, and I think everybody needs to pressure their Congress people to uh, get that passed. And for people who don't know what that is, explain that. The Equality Act is going to make it, you know, so that it's, um, it applies these same non-discrimination policies across the board to, um, you know, housing, credit, mm -hmm. healthcare, education. Um, there are still so many um, places that need work, you know, with this. It's evolving. Could you have imagined 10 years ago that you would be taking the role that you are taking and, and leading <laughs> some of these battles on behalf of your brother? <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, no, but I also um, am not surprised that my brother of all people have put me in this position. Um, and sometimes uh, we laugh about that and about how he's probably looking down on us laughing at all of this. Um, I mean, he knows how serious it is, of course, but he also knows that I um, do not love being on camera or being the center of attention. So he, you know, this was, um, we fought like cats and dogs when we were younger. And this was <laughs> one final blow <laughs> that he could uh, leave me with. It's a, a perpetual prank that he's right. playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all for, for uh, a guy who grew up in Green Valley, Missouri. <laughs> He grew up in Green Valley, but um, he was a world traveler. Um, he, he started engineering school in Rolla when he started skydiving. And when he realized, I mean, probably with the first jump, that that was going to be his profession, um, everything from that moment in his life went towards skydiving. Gear, attaining all the certifications he could possibly get, becoming a tandem master. Um, he got his pilot's license. He got his degree in aviation management. He, Everything revolved being in the sky, being old, in the air. How old was he for his first jump? I don't remember. He was in basic training, I believe. Um, I'm pretty sure he was either tearful or close to it the night before when he called my mom and he was terrified. And then the next night, done deal. He was changed person. And we, he knew what he wanted in life, and that was that. So um, I, he, he, I, I think he accumulated over easily over 10,000 jumps. Um, I mean, him taking a tandem student on a jump was a day in the office. He would, you know, yay, this is fun, this is great, and now I'm gonna go do my fun jumps, so. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's a pretty great way to live, to live your passion. Right, yeah, we, um, when I was um, getting married, we tricked my mom one day, told her that we're gonna go shop for dresses, and she's like, why are we driving out to Lexington? And we just tricked her and tricked her. And my brother met us at the airport with the camera in hand. And um, 
He's like, well, Mom, you're jumping today. And I was just glad it wasn't me jumping. <laughs> of course, he had something in store for us, too. But, um, yeah, Mom, he took Mom on a tandem. And there was a special plane visiting the airport that day. It's a Pilatus Porter, I think is the name. And it's a um, plane that's known for being able to land with very little runway. So we rode up with him, and that was great and wonderful. And we waved goodbye. and. All right, you guys have fun. They exited the plane, and the second they were out, we were just <laughs> straight down. He told the pilot to, I think, put a little extra on it for us. Just so you got to have Oh, fun yeah, too. the door's flapping, and the pilot just kind of looks back, and all I see is earth out of the windshield, and he just looks back, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> We land, get out, return our, you know, emergency chutes. We have time, so much time to, like, wait for them to come in. We just, we got, we beat them to the ground <laughs> by so much. Wow. Yeah. What kind of family are, do you guys have? Close? We're all really close. And, you know, um, my mom and dad used to fly. My dad passed away in 82, but they got um, personal pilot's license. And I think that my mom even took to it more than my dad. Like if there was, you know, storms or whatever, that he would have mom do the flying. <laughs> um, and they would go like to the Ozarks or whatever. So we were kind of around airplanes. I remember, um, playing on my coloring book, you know, just coloring in the back of a plane. My mom had a lesson. And so um, that stuff was all pretty normal because we kind of grew up on a farm. And so we had, you know, four wheelers and horses and things like that. And it, it was a good way, you know, to grow up. What was it that sent your brother off to travel the world? Um well, he started going to these skydiving boogies and meeting a lot of friends and they would meet and they'd have annual events here and there and he started working at various drop zones and meeting people that way. He's worked everywhere from Hawaii to Maine to Aruba. Um, and then he started, when he started um, wingsuit flying and base jumping, he started meeting a lot of people in Europe and he was actually working on getting his EU citizenship at the time that he died. He was over there so much and um, he never wanted to come home. So he, he the last time he went over there, he, he got rid of his house. He actually lived at the airport. And um, he got rid of the structure he lived in and um, moved over there for about four months. He just put everything in storage, and he was going to like come back as long as he had to and then just go straight back over. So he'd go to Norway and Italy, Switzerland. Um, he would go to South America. Take me back to 2010 when he uh, lost his job. What do you remember about that? He was devastated. We would um, have counseling sessions where he would call me or my mom or my sister and, you know, be in tears because he was afraid he wasn't going to be able to um, keep working in the profession he loved and that he would be, like, blacklisted or viewed as a troublemaker. Um, he felt it was a double standard. You could talk about, you know, your wife at work, so why can't he talk about his husband at work? Um, he was really just trying to make the student more comfortable with the jump, you know, they're nervous when they're going up. So he was, um, he was beside himself. I've, I've never seen him that down. And he picked up base jumping after that, I understand, right? I'm not exactly sure of the timing. He might have already done some wingsuit flying, like out of the plane. And he might have maybe jumped off a bridge or something or a tower. But, but combining the two, the wingsuit jumping with the base jumping. Um, he really started uh, taking a little bit more risk and doing more dangerous and technical jumps, I think. I just think he was like, at this point, what, what do I have to lose? So I'm going to go do whatever, and um, just kind of started gambling more and more and more with it. And the suit came later in 2010. 
So obviously he was embroiled in this suit, had been fired. Um, and so do you feel like the more risk that he was taking with his life was connected to what was going on in his personal life or was, was there any relation? I, I do feel like he, I feel like it maybe had a hand. I feel like he, he was down. This was a way that he could um, have the camaraderie of his friends and feel this excitement and this adrenaline. And, um, you know, what, what did he have to lose at that point? He was afraid that he would have a hard time working. So this, one thing kind of led to another. Um, of course he enjoyed it, but I don't know that he would have taken it as far. If he was working at a drop zone doing tandems and all of that, it might have just been more of a hobby and not become his whole life. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I know that um, you, you also lost your sister too. Mm -hmm. So this, was, this has been an incredibly difficult uh, time for your family. I mean, I know you lost, uh, you lost Don a few years ago, but mm -hmm. um, just, it's hard to imagine. It's been a stretch, that, yeah. When did you lose, uh, is it Gara? Gara. Gara. Mm -hmm. When did you lose Gara? Gara was in 07 or 08. Yeah. I'm terrible with dates. Yeah, um, yeah. But it all kind of runs together. I can't believe that we lost Don in 2014. I mean, it, it feels like two years ago. Um, that day when we got the call, I, I knew um, Bill was calling me. And I knew that there's no way Bill's going to be calling me on an on a early Saturday morning. Like, I knew when I saw his number on the phone. I knew that Don was in Europe. I knew everything. He confirmed it and picked up the phone. And I had to call my sister. And we had to get together and figure out how we were going to tell my mom. Was this just a call that you were afraid was going to happen at some point? Yeah. yeah with what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, what was the jump that he was doing or where was he exactly when, when he had the accident? He was in Switzerland. I can't, I can't pronounce it. Mm. It's, um, <laughs> not gonna Alps. try to pronounce it. Yeah. Somewhere, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was in a small village. Um, Bill went over to um, take care of everything, um, grab his belongings, and um, he had to be uh, um, pulled out by a um, helicopter like uh, the next day several hours later because it was a difficult place to get to and, and he was going off a, a peak or a cliff or something there mm -hmm. yeah it was a um place i mean you, you never know when you jump like that it, it doesn't matter if you've been having good jumps all week or or whatever so um they don't know his friends um they have a report on it on our um, memorial page describing it and they don't know um how he was feeling about it my brother was um notorious for always listening to his headphones when he jumped, always playing a soundtrack. They were um, trying to get his attention to discuss it because he'd been there a while and sometimes, you know, they're like, they would take their time assessing a jump, scouting it out, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm good, I've got my headphones on. and Kind of went for it. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's, it's pure speculation to, to wonder what your brother would think about what's happened in the last 24 hours, I'm sure. But uh, but if anyone is capable of guessing, <laughs> you might be one of the best. Right. Um, he would be so happy. He it hurt him so bad when he lost his job that to know that you know nobody else will have to go through that would have meant everything to him. Um, I think he would have been overjoyed, elated. I don't know if he could have put it into words how happy he would have been. This this case drained him. It, it was so incredibly draining that um, 
to, to be able to have this victory, especially right now when we all need a victory so bad would have meant the world to him. Has it been draining for you? Because you've had to take the mantle <laughs> the last few years. Um, I've had a excellent team supporting me and um, my friends and my family have been amazing. Um, Bill has been amazing. We're very close and I will always be very close. Um, the team at the ACLU, our attorney, Greg, um, everybody has been wonderful. Um, Pam Carlin, she is a rock star who argued on our behalf in front of the Supreme Court, and I w it was breathtaking. Sitting there, <laughs> sitting there in the Supreme Court, I mean, not many people in this country get the opportunity to actually watch an argument in the Supreme Court. Could mm -hmm. you tell how the argument was going, or did you leave with a feeling about the way it was going? It was um, not at all what I expected. First of all, the room is very small. Um, we actually went on a tour the day before to kind of get a feeling for it, just to like get an idea, um, so we weren't so overwhelmed. We had to leave all of our belongings um, in lockers. Um, it's very strict. Um, at one point, Bill had his arm kind of up on the uh, seat. It's almost like pews, <laughs> and he had his arm up, and the you know, and then I don't know if it's Secret Service or whoever comes over and is like, no, you can't do that. You know, like you have to. It was so scary um, in a way because you're like, I'm going to move wrong or something or breathe wrong or make a sound because it's silent. And watching the, watching the skilled attorneys do their thing and watching the judges and how fast it is because everything is timed and so you only get, you know, brief periods to speak. So it is just rapid fire. There is no stuttering or no, um, uh, let me look at that going through your papers. It is just fire, 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 question, fire, interrupt, interrupt, question, fire. It, it's unbelievable. And um, I learned that a lot of times they'll ask questions. Um, maybe, I mean, you can't tell what they're thinking, but sometimes they'll ask questions through both sides because they want to already get it out there so that nobody can argue it later and have the, the, the person arguing explain it. So they might say, well, tell me why this isn't the case even if that's not what they're thinking, so that they can already get it on record and have it out there. Um, it, it was technical and, I don't know, I wanted to go be a lawyer <laughs> afterward. Growing up, had your brother faced discrimination in his life for his sexual orientation? Um, was he out when he was, you know, growing up in Green Valley as a kid or no, a young he, guy? He might have um, told a friend or two that we didn't know about, but he, he didn't come out to family or anything until his late 20s. He um, started skydiving, and that, that really consumed his whole life, and he was traveling and all of that. So I don't think he was hiding it. I just think he was gone, you know, and he came back, and he told us, and we're all like, that's fine, whatever. Nobody thought much of it. Um, he was so goofy and he had a sense of humor that I remember, you know, after we discussed it, um, we were having lunch, we went to the park to take the dogs and he was driving and I was giving him directions and we're at the stop sign and I'm like, okay, go straight here. And he's like, Missy, I can't go straight. You know that I can only go forward. <laughs> I'm like, okay, bad pun. I got it. A reflection of his sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's probably an old one, but he used it. Yeah. yeah, you said he was—he had the appearance of a jock, but mm -hmm. it was was not that. Maybe. No, he was um, sensitive and delicate. He was—he um, was a gentle giant. He 
And that was one of the things, actually, that was brought up, you know, um, in his case was also, you know, appearance and stereotypes. Um, he liked to um, have this contrast. I am a, you know, big, strong guy who works out, drinks beer, all of that, you know, not a lot. He was not a heavy drinker, but somebody who likes to go have some beer and chili and barbecue and work out and wear a lot of pink. <laughs> have a pastel pink phone. <laughs> makes makes life more interesting. Yeah, sounds right. Melissa, thank you. If you like this podcast, please like, rate, and review, and please listen next time.